All right, we're reading from Ecclesiastes. You can turn there with me or you can listen along, whatever works for you. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. All right, so Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 1. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before and God will call the past to account. Thanks, Corinne. Doesn't Corinne have a lovely tone? Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Tim, part of the pastoral team here at the Lakes. And if you're visiting, a warm welcome from me to you. And Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Who was up for the count at midnight? Not intentional. There's not too many of us. So how about we count in the new year together? We've got something on the screen. Are you ready? Big voice. Let's count. There you go. Yeah, I was looking at the back of my eyeballs at 9.30 last night as well. I don't know what a countdown like that fills you with as we come to the new year. Um, I think there's a bit of a spectrum for how we feel as the year turns. Joel started talking about some of this spectrum. Let's put it up on the screen. And that is that you either feel super motivated. It's a new year. I'm going to make stuff. I'm going to build stuff. I'm going to create and achieve to make the most of the opportunity that I have in this year. Or at the other end of the spectrum, maybe a bit of despairing. Here we go again, around and around and around. Tomorrow is not going to be any different. That is the definition of despair. Now, I'm sure we probably oscillate across the year between that, um, different points on the spectrum you might identify with. 
But I'm going to um, offer for you that I reckon, whether we're conscious of it or not, underlying both of those extreme points is anxiety. That is, we feel anxious. We may not be conscious of it all the time, but driving those two kind of intense reactions to the future is an anxiousness that comes from our mortality. Anxiousness is to to feel vulnerable, to feel like I can't hold it all together or I can't control the outcome. You feel very vulnerable, and that comes from our mortality. Now, it's not necessarily wrong to feel that. Um, that. That seems to be the baseline. I think the Bible teaches us that this is the baseline of life. It is an anxious existence. It is riddled with mortality. Nothing lasts. And today, I hope that as we just take a little bit of a reflection on this poem in Ecclesiastes, it will, it will help us in, in a strange way to lean into our mortality. God doesn't want us to be anxious about our life and about the future. But in a strange way, his word, particularly here in the book of Ecclesiastes, gets our attention and gives us relief by causing us to first lean into our mortality. That might sound strange. Is that the pathway through anxiety for 2023? Um, I know for myself, I, in my early 20s, had a lot of anxiety. And while, while I had a lot of help around me, um, key and fundamental to uh, that being dialed back and me finding more rest was grabbing the perspective of God, like really, not just knowing it, but absorbing my whole world in it. And that's my prayer. I've been praying for us as a church over 20, for 2023 that that is what will happen for us today. So if, we're, if you're tracking along, um, this, this should help. What we're going to do is three Ps, okay? First, we'll look at the poem, P for poem. We're going to have a, a little dwell on the poem, um, what this writer wrote and why did he write it. Um, next, we'll have a look at a, a bit of a puzzlement. There's your next P, a puzzlement that the writer has as he writes this poem. And then we're going to ponder. We're going to ponder um, particularly some of the words of the Lord Jesus who really embraced this poem as he lived his life. And I always reckon it's worth pondering the words and the insights of a man who in his mortality lived his life and came through that as the resurrected man. So a poem, a puzzlement and we'll ponder. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now, um, I reckon some of us may well have recognised some of the lyrics that came through this poem, Um, a well-known song from the birds in the 70s called Turn, Turn, Turn. Who knows that song? Who is it? Yep, quite a few of us. Um, It's a lovely song. I reckon if you know the song, it kind of maybe just misleads us a little bit because it's a, a boppy, upbeat song set in the era of the 70s, which was all about freedom and, you know, making the most of it. This is the original version. This is actually where the lyrics from Turn, Turn, Turn from the Birds come from. And it's a, it's a little bit more bittersweet. It's not quite upbeat and boppy. It's got a bitter, sweet dynamic going on. 
So I'd like to just share with you um, a little bit of the frame of reference of this poet as he writes, because he writes a number of poems through this book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Flick over, let me introduce you to the actual poet. Flick over to chapter 1 in your Bibles, and you'll see that um, we learn there that verse 1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. So it may well be King Solomon who wrote this, um, but he identifies as the teacher in this. You'll see over in verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. But insofar as this writing, he's identifying himself as a teacher. And he says in verse 13 that he applies his mind to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under, hev- under the heavens, what a heavy burden God has laid on many kind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. So this teacher is having a look at life lived under the sun. And he says that he is both an observer and an explorer. So he just observes what happens, but he's also searching and exploring as he does that. And in this little introduction in chapter 1, he makes a, a bit of a conclusion that he continues to repeat all throughout this book. If you read this book from cover to cover, chapter 1 to 12, you'll see that in his observation and his exploration, he keeps coming to the conclusion that everything is vapour. Now, I said vapour, and in your Bible, you may well have meaningless. And uh, I just want to... I think it's helpful to see that actually the, the word behind meaningless is actually a metaphor. It's havel, and it means vapour or wind. Okay, So it's a little bit unfortunate that um, the, the metaphor has been over-interpreted for us with meaningless because the book is not to leave us that life is meaningless. But the point is that this teacher wants us to see that life under the sun, what he observes and discovers is that everything is like vapour. It is there for a moment, but then it disappears. And he'll continue to use this metaphor throughout his book, and he will even describe life as like chasing after the wind and trying to grab hold of this vapour, and you just can't clutch it. It gets through your fingers. This is what the teacher observes. So every time you read Meaningless, um, in your head... Do an equation, it's, it's, it's vapour, it's vapour, that's the idea. It's not meaningless, there's great meaning to be found, but it is vapour. Um, you may find this interesting, I did. Um, the first person to die in the storyline of the Bible um, is Abel. Um, his name is literally Havel. So the Bible writers have renamed him possibly, or, or maybe Eve, has named him as like a vapour. Such was his life. And that kind of connects us in. Um, this writer sees that life is full of mortality and vapour. And so he's on a search. Um, if you come over to chapter 1, verse 3, you'll see that he says, What do people gain from all their labours which they toil under the sun? So as he looks under the sun at life, he, he's actually on a search for, is there any profit is there anything that can be held on to? Is there anything that might last? So this is the frame of this writer. And throughout, he writes lots of poems. You'll see in verse 4 of chapter 1, 
he starts a, a, a poem, and it's a, a very cyclical poem. We won't go into it, but have a look at it, and you'll see he's, he's observing that life goes round and round and round, whether it's the wind or the sun, up and down, back and forth. Even generations come and go. Whatever you build, a couple of generations from now, they won't even remember who you are. Who, who's tra- who knows their family history beyond a generation or two? It's a little tragic. So he's on a search for, is there anything that can be gained? And so he writes these poems of, of which one of them we've, we've read. So let's have another look at that, just some lines from it. So chapter 3, chapter 3, um, having a look at the poem. And you'll see that this poem is about things coming and going. It starts with, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Remember, he's looking under the heavens, under the sun. And he observes that there is a time to be born and a time to die. Now, we tend to read things very fast, but the poem is meant to give us each line and just sort of hook into us. And, and how do you feel as you hear that? A time to be born and a time to die. I was born in the 70s. I was born in the 70s when that song came. And I'm sure that was, uh, that was the era, as I said, full of life and freedom. And now I'm recognising that I feel, after a bit of water skiing on uh, New Year's Eve, feel like I, I'm getting closer to dying. There's a time... That's life, isn't it? Um, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. I was doing water skiing with my family, and they're in the pro- my mum and dad are in the process of moving and Dad has spent 25 years on his lovely garden and he's trying to uproot in order to replant certain plants there. Um, you, hit, you hit a point in life where you realise you just can't hold on to everything as it is. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. The writer recognises that in this world um, there's times where People have to kill, and there's a time where you heal. Um, I, I don't think he's commenting anything further other about just war theory or anything like that, but just making the observation that in this world that there is times where there has to be war for whatever reason, and, um, and that's the circle of life that you see. A time to tear down and a time to build. Last night when I was watching the news, you know how they do those montages of the year that was, Um, heaps of footage of what happened in Ukraine. I think we're getting close to almost one year that the war in Ukraine has come and you just see all these buildings destroyed um, and and lives destroyed. Um, Each of those buildings represent people's lives that have been lost or forever changed. There's a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh. I find that the president of the Ukraine, um, Vladimir Zelensky, I think is how you say his name, um, epitomises that there's a time to laugh and there's a time to mourn. Um, this fella, most of us might know this, but he, he used to be a, a, a comic, a comedian, and he did this... Ironically, this satirical show about being a leader and, uh, and politics. And you know, it was called The Servant of the People. 
lots of gags and laughs and carry on. And then he's become the president and he has um, stuck his own feet into boots and gone into the trenches and, and sat next to those on the front line to fight for his country. Seriously, watching people die around him. There's a time to laugh and then there's a time to mourn. This is equivalent to like Rob Sitch becoming our Prime Minister in wartime or Sean McAuliffe. Yeah. A time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up. That line, nothing lasts. There's a time to search and a time to give up. This time of year, I'm always hearing stories of bushwalks where people have gone, got lost or, or boats have capsized and it breaks my heart when you hear after days of searching they say we have to give up we are no longer running the search this is life nothing lasts a time to search and a time to give up a time to keep and a time to throw away a time to be silent and a time to speak A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. We don't quite see it in English, but that last line is a bit of a a mirror to focus us in on those inner words. So you've got love and peace on the outside and then hate and war in the middle. And it's a bit of a technique to kind of land us poetically that you know even the good times end up unravelling. Everything is vapour. So as we went through that poem, do you hear the tick-tock of time? Like even the poet strikes the chime. Time, time, tick-tock, tick-tock. And then with the imagery, it's time, time, death. Time, end, time, vapour. This poet, as he explores and observes under the sun, he sees that everything ends up not lasting. Um, And that might sound a little bit depressing, but he actually wants us to realise that and not pretend otherwise to lean into it. That's the first step, to actually not pretend otherwise that this life can actually be held onto. And after his couple of poems in these first opening chapters, he actually goes on to sort of share the puzzlement that he has, the perplexity that he gets out of all of this. So let's have a look at that in verse 9. He comes back to that question that he keeps asking that we saw in chapter 1, but he keeps asking it all through the book. What do workers or humanity gain from their toil? Remember, he's on a search. Can you gain anything? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
This is the perplexity and the puzzle that this writer has. As you observe life, if you come to terms with it really, is that there's this jarring tension. I mean, it bites, doesn't it? That you see that there are lots of beautiful things in this world, but then they go. And you also see that within yourself, we desire to live We don't desire for things to finish. We have eternity set in our hearts. We want to be alive. We want to go on. We want to live in beauty forever. So that's the great puzzlement that this explorer and observer comes to. But he doesn't just leave us there. Um, I said I'd do a bit of pondering on what the Lord Jesus says. Our teacher here actually does some pondering as well. And uh, you'll notice that what he does is he starts to lift his eyes above the sun and above the heavens. So as he ponders, he starts to see that eternity is bound up with God who is beyond the sun and this earth, who is beyond the heavens. So as he puzzles, he starts to talk about how God, so verse, have a look at verse 14. He says, this is what I know. These are the things that he has ultimately discovered. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Eternity is bound up. That desire that we want to be alive and live forever is bound up with the God who is above the heavens. And nothing can be added to it and nothing taken away from it. God does it so that people might fear him. So our teacher starts to do his own pondering and he's a guy that's pondering with the Bible and the scripture that has occurred before him and he, as we've said, recognises that eternity is bound up with God who is beyond this life but he also recognises that the mortality that we experience, the vapour vapor-like existence to life that we experience is actually part of God's gift to us in order to bring us towards him. And he is talking um, from a backstory that is part of our Bibles, which explains that the reason there is mortality, the reason that there is death and that nothing lasts ultimately in this life, is because of humanity's sin and rebellion against God. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. But the interesting thing is as you read there and across the Bible story is you see that although God said that for sin and rebellion against him the punishment is death and judgment, he postpones that. It doesn't come straight away. In fact, he has given us an existence where death is postponed, but we feel the frustration of it, all in the hope that we might be driven back to God, all in the hope that we might come to him for our answer and our solutions and our fulfilment of that desire to find eternity. So, this poet sees that beyond all the the vapour-like life, the mortality under the sun, we have to look above the sun, above the heavens to 
the maker of the heavens, the creator, God. And we need to do that before time runs out. So God, in his mercy, has actually given us a life that is full of the experience of it being short, in the hope that we will turn to him. Um, Our teacher here will um, say some final words right at the end of his book of Ecclesiastes, where he does a big sum up of this wonderful book. Um, And let me read it to you. So this is the final chapter, and uh, he's talking to those that might listen to him. So, So basically this comes after this. So if you know that life is a vapor and you have reckoned that you are mortal, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and light and the moons and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain and the dust returns to the ground it comes from, came, it came from. This teacher and God through this teacher is pleading with us to remember our creator, to reckon that life is short Um, in a strange way, to lean into your mortality and then go to God before it is too late. Now, I I gave a personal reflection at the start that uh, it feels like society is very anxious. Um, And uh, I don't know if you have felt that, particularly over the last year. Lots of people, either they display that they're more anxious and they talk about worries or... even saying, hey, I I have anxiety or I feel very anxious. I've seen it in um, amongst my friends. I've seen it in my wider family. Um, But here's the thing. I've also seen it uh, amongst Christians. And this is just my personal observation, so you can take it or leave it. But it, it has, to me, I feel like I've witnessed amongst Christians and even amongst our church more talk of I feel anxious and a sharing of worries about the future and it makes me wonder um, why is that Um, is it that in some large part we have tried to cling on to this life are we focusing in the wrong place do we have our eyes constantly under the sun just looking horizontally Um, We might know some of this stuff, but do we actually go to God? Uh, Do do we practically spend our life day by day not not feeling like God actually does care or has the power to control these things? And so we we do invest all of our energies and hopes and uh, our desire for security into the stuff of this world, whatever it might be. I think it's worth us pondering um, this year, as we go into 2023, um, where, where we are at with our anxiety, if we're feeling anxious, and where are we at with our confidence in God. Now, this is not to say that if, if you feel anxious that that is a wrong thing. Um, Ecclesiastes is showing that's the baseline of living in life, 
It's a very vulnerable place that we live in, wherever you live in the world. Um, Our mortality is right at our heels, and that makes us anxious. But for us as Christians, we... God wants us to ever increase in our confidence that he cares for us, that he loves us, and that he has got us. And so it's worth us asking, if we are feeling anxious and that just continues to, to be there, you know, are, we, are we making sure that we are looking to our creator and hearing his perspective where he keeps taking our eyes above the heavens. I know that um, anxiety is such um, that for some of us it, it can even shape our bodies. That you know, you, you may well, your body may have been habituated in patterns of worry, and it doesn't happen overnight, these kind of changes. And you may need some help, and you may need to talk with people and keep working on that overall. But my personal experience, which I shared before, was that key to. Uh, the anxiety being drained away and having less worries and actually enjoying the fact that life is temporary came from more and more and being reminded and recalibrated into this perspective. that to, To actually go, yeah, under God, life is temporary, but God has good things for us and an eternity is bound up with him. That is where my hope lies. I'd like to take us um, now just to the Lord Jesus, who also pondered on these things, and I find it remarkable. So turn over to Luke 9. Luke 9, let's have a look here. Uh, Jesus, so much of his teaching seems to be speaking just like the teacher in Ecclesiastes, um, trying to implore his disciples and us to reckon with the reality of life that it is short. So let me read for you uh, Luke 9. In fact, I think I'd put it on here. Yeah, wonderful. So Luke 9, 21 to 26. Uh, Jesus has um, just had his disciples recognise him as the Messiah, but on this occasion, he strictly warns them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. What we've just witnessed there is Jesus, who is God above the heavens, graciously coming down as a man under the sun, under the heavens, taking on flesh, taking on mortality. That's what Christmas was all about. Um, And he lives his life, as we've just read there, very conscious that life is short. I mean, he speaks very openly. Life is short. And for him, 
he seemed to be very um, conscious that his own life would be cut prematurely short. At 33 years of age, he died. And that is because as he teaches and preaches, he speaks of himself as the person from God, sorry, the person from heaven, God, coming down to take on human flesh in order to do away with that great problem of sin, which brings mortality, death, and then later God's judgment. And as he talks about his own life coming to take that away for all of humanity, time and time again he says, Come to me, all you who are weak and weary, and I will give you rest. Um, he constantly tells his disciples and us to, to not worry. If you're worrying, um, come back to him, recalibrate, don't worry. Um, he will contrast that the, the pagans or people who uh, are not Christians, that's, that's really what consumes them um, day in and day out is they live for trying to control these worries that they have. Um, he says things like, um, and you can do this in your own time if you'd like to read in Luke 12, some wonderful passages there where he says, God knows all the hairs on our head and that even if we worry, we would not add to them or change the colour of them outside of God's plan. And who by worrying can actually add an hour to their life? Our God, the Lord Jesus, wants us to gain life. And ironically, it's by admitting that we are mortal under God and those reasons why and coming to him for forgiveness in order to get that eternity that we so desire. I have found personally that as I embrace that and even recalibrate at times coming back to that, um, I actually read, this is my own personal little New Year's ritual, I sit down and read the book of Ecclesiastes cover to cover every new year to, to recalibrate myself in these things. And that's why God has given us his word, because we forget to remind us that in him is life. And you'll see as you read the book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher there will actually say, that is the pathway to even enjoying this temporary life. You can start to enjoy food and drink and friends and all the wonderful, beautiful things because you're not clinging on to them for your absolute security. We cling to our creator in heaven. So as I finish, let me give us all a moment where we can just maybe see where we're at at this point at 2023. So first of all, just in the quietness of your own heart, um, Take a moment and just think, where would you be on this scale of just feeling anxious? Now, remember, this has nothing to do with <laughs> whether you're a Christian or not. That's, you know, but just being honest about where, how do you feel? And maybe, not right now, but just try to capture an idea over the last year. Where would you kind of plot yourself, you know, five being in the middle? You know, are you more or less anxious? Do you have many worries? So just... Take a moment, try to see where you would land.
Okay, next. Um, when you think of your confidence in God, um, and try to be honest with yourself, um, maybe reflect over the last year, how have you kind of lived life that would kind of show you a little bit of just how confident you are in God or not? It doesn't matter where you end up on this. There's no. This is just to help us see where we're at. Because, um, as I've been saying, God's word is such that over time he wants there to be an inverse in that. So less worries, more confidence. And it probably does work out um, that the more worried you are, the less confidence you do have in God. And at that point, we want to like look at ourselves and go, well, why is that? It may be that we have just even forgotten the basic things of listening to God's voice, his promises, casting our eyes up above the sun to him. And so as a last question, are you willing to lean into God's perspective more? And if so, what would that look like? So just have maybe ask yourself you know, and be honest again, how willing are you right now? And you might need to say, look, I didn't get much sleep. I was up at midnight, so right now I'm kind of... <laughs> whatever, that's okay. But how willing? And then think, wherever you have plotted yourself, um, if you were to just move it positively more... So to take one, one step in order to be more willing or to take that step to lean in towards God, what, what would that look like for you this year? If you were to go out the door today and go, right, I'm at least going to do something in order to increase my perspective above the clouds, above the sun, God's perspective, what would that be? And I'm going to pray as we just ask the Lord to please help us, Lord, see where we're at with you. Um, we are small and vulnerable and can be thrown around by our many worries. And so, Lord, we ask as we go into 2023, please increase our faith, increase our confidence. Increase our belief that you care and that you've got this. You've got each one of us in the palm of your hands. Uh, you know our beginning through to our end and you've got us safely going on into eternity. I pray, Lord, that you will help each one of us to take the next step in loving you and following you and living for you in 2023. And we ask that by your spirit, you will help us to, to not fade away from even where you've brought us today. We pray this in your name. Amen.